Hey, this is Canuck from the Sens Call-Ups. You're listening to the Third Line Plug Sendscast. Everybody, welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host Tim Jensey. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going good. Had a lovely Canada Day. How about you? Had a lovely Canada Day as well, man. Pretty low key, just hung around the house and didn't get up to too much. Nice. I had a barbecue. Yeah, we'll be guys grilling up. So it was a potluck, but uh, I might I finally got to use my Weber charcoal grill as a smoker. Ooh! Yeah, so I got two racks of baby back ribs that I picked up at Costco, uh, covered them in brown sugar, threw them on the grill for four hours, and they came out perfect. Nice, man. Nice. No, I'm super excited that you got to smoke some stuff. Yeah. So uh, that ended up coming out well. Unfortunately, it got too windy for me to re-up the grill so after i cooked a few hot dogs and some chicken uh i couldn't get anything more on so we couldn't get the pork belly going oh shitty were you guys affected by the hailstorm that hit calgary a bit but uh we weren't around for when it happened so it just kind of bounced off the roof and uh, there wasn't didn't seem to be any real damage okay i i know we've talked about this in the past but hailstorms that is that fairly common for alberta or no yep during the summer especially Man, so what you're saying is that it could potentially happen in a couple of weeks when I'm out there? Yep. The Stampede Hailstorm is a regular occurrence. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Now, you did mention Costco. And I actually got something to announce to our listeners, Tim. Okay. Oh, you got the executive membership. Let's go. I am officially a Costco member. Yeah. Katrina and I went up on Sunday. We got our Costco membership. Spent a good chunk of change on some groceries and finished off with a hot dog. Nice. Do you think you're going to spend the... How much you need to make back the money on it? I think it's like three grand of spending. Something like that. At Costco? Yeah. (sighs) Because well, it's two percent, and it's a delta of sixty bucks between the regular membership and uh, the executive. Yeah. So to make the executive worthwhile, you have to spend two percent. Yeah, you have to spend uh, I think three thousand dollars just to get at least sixty dollars out of the two percent cashback. Which you know, it's funny, Tim. I mean, for anybody who's ever shopped at Costco, realistically. It's not that hard to do that. If you really think about it. I mean, Chelsea and I are having a bit, we might have a problem doing it. Okay, because you guys don't really buy stuff in bulk, do you? Yeah, no. We just don't really have the space. Well, we have some space for it, but it's like a lot of the stuff we're buying, especially meat, we'll be buying. Oh. You Okay. Yeah, just my monitors have shut off here. That's interesting. 
Oh, I think they're back. Weird. Yep, I we're back. See... Oh, perfect. I okay, that was you, weird. So it wasn't too bad. Yeah, so the computer kept running. It was just my screens just, uh, I guess. Yeah, it looks like my graphics cards just didn't update. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, see, th see, Tim, this is why we'll never win any awards for technical difficulties that we're having. I mean, hey, we're still rolling. Yeah, just be glad that we're not a video podcast, Tim, because that would be disastrous. Well, I would just be like... <laughs> I know. For Described second, audio I... for the visually impaired. Tim looks very confused at his computer as his monitors go black for five seconds. Yeah. Described audio. Tay looks at screen as if Tim froze. Because <laughs> for a second, I thought that's what happened. I thought you froze and I saw you blinked and I was like, oh. No, he's good. He he's good. You but see, yeah. Tim, I gotta say, man, this really wouldn't be a third line plug episode if something like this happens, eh? It's true. It's true. I mean, you know what, Tim? We could sit here all day and talk about technical difficulties and being Costco memberships, but it would only delay the inevitable. We need to jump in today's episode because today's episode, we are going to be looking at the Ottawa Senators 2023 draft class. All, I believe it's five picks. All five picks of it. Yep. It, you know, it's three be... of which are the seventh round. Yep. So it, it's going to be one of those episodes. You know, it's going to be one of those because, but then again, I was thinking about this today. Would you go back and listen to some of our draft episodes? How many picks outside of the first round do you and I look at each other and be like, well, we drafted this guy. We're, we're not exactly sure what we've got. I mean, on one of these picks, hockey DB's not exactly sure what we got either. And we'll get there. You know what's hilarious, Tim? I think in the last couple of draft episodes we've done, I think hockey DB didn't even have a page for some of those picks. And we're like, I, I don't know. This one, hockey DB doesn't even have a position. Oh, let, let me guess. Is it the... Um... Is it the one from the UCHL? The one that says it's a goalie, but it's actually a forward? No. Okay, because that one I actually had a tough time looking up. Because the NHL website lists that player as a goalie. I looked on their on the team's website, and he's a forward. Yeah, I think I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, you know what, Tim? We're going to get to that when we get to that. Now, thankfully, we do have some news stories that we need to talk about beforehand. And I'm super glad that we actually got stuff to talk about. Because could you imagine if this episode would be like, what, 25 minutes? And we just sat here and be like, well, we drafted this player. That was cool. Yeah. Next pick. Yeah, we'll find stuff to talk about. Exactly. But I will start off with one thing we're going to talk about, Tim. The 2023 Hockey Hall of Fame class was officially announced. And, you know, when you go back and listen and three claims or recall some of our old Hockey Hall of Fame wishlist episodes, and we had some names on that, on those lists. And I'm super excited to know some of those names actually made the Hockey Hall of Fame for this year. Neat. Yeah. So, actually, do you want to talk about the, the class in general, Tim? Because, honestly, looking at the list... The goalie class? It's very much a goalie class, but it's also a longtime snub list. Don't let the Toronto fans hear that one. Oh, my God, I know. And we'll get to that when we get to that. But I feel... Let's go through quickly 
for all of these people. And let's talk about them real quickly. Starting off in the builders, Ken Hitchcock. Yeah. This is a guy that honestly, you think of his name. And the first thing I think that most people have is, wait, he's not in the Hall of Fame? Like, especially with some of those teams that he built or and coached, especially the Dallas Stars to their first Stanley Cup. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, if you go back, like, he had such a great career in junior. He goes to the NHL. Like you said, wins this. He goes to the back-to-back Stanley Cup finals with the Dallas Stars. He has all the success there, and then he moves on to St. Louis. He helps them come out of their rebuild into becoming a contender. So I got to say, that's a really, really good pick for the Hockey Hall of Fame for the Builders. And closing out the Builders category is the late Colorado Avalanche general manager, Pierre Lacroix. Pierre Lacroix is interesting, Tim, because for me, I honestly think of Pierre Lacroix in the way I think of Doug Wilson with the Sharks is he they essentially were handed a very good team and just be like, okay, you have a very good team here. Just sort of add a couple pieces and you'll win. And that's where I always thought about Pierre Lacroix with the Avalanche because honestly, when you really think about it, Pierre Lacroix really didn't do any of the heavy lifting in Colorado prior to them going there because of the management and yeah. all the ownership groups they had in the pre- previous. But the more I think about it, the more I'm actually really not surprised that Pierre Lacroix got him because once he arrived in Colorado to be the general manager, you look at some of the big acquisitions, the big trades he made to really put the team over the top, most notably the Patrick Watt trade. Mm-hmm. Which really was the missing piece for the Avalanche. It was. Like I said, he was it was one of those things where it's like he was handed a cup contending team and he just added that final piece. Well, it's very easy to not do that. And arguably, and we'll probably get into it more once we talk about the free agency period, if not this episode, but a later episode, Bradtree Living is doing the opposite of that in Toronto. Yeah, and we'll definitely talk a little bit about that when we get to there, but Pierre, Pierre Lacroix, I mean, I'm not surprised he's in the Hall of Fame. The guy has two Stanley Cup rings. But even through the Patrick Waugh trade, if you look at the trades he made between 95 and 2001 when they won their Cups, you look at some of the names that he swung big on to try and get them another Cup. I mean, he was the one that went out and got Baron Fleury for almost nothing out of Calgary. He got Ray Bort for practically nothing out of Boston. He went out there and made those big swings to get them to come to Colorado. Yeah, so it's like you kind of have to know when to put the chips in, and uh, good for him, right? Hundred percent. And I, I, I would like to know if you could look this up real quick, Tim, because I want to say that Pierre Lacroix did help get some of the pieces for Colorado in the 2010s, like the Tyson Berries. I think he was the GM to get Nathan McKinnon. He... He was, by that time, uh, president of Hockey Ops. Okay, so he wasn't GM. No, but he was he was helping. Yeah. But not every, I mean, not every trade he made really panned out for Colorado. The big one for me off the top of my head is the trade he made in 2006 for Jose Theodore. Mm, and Abisher. Sorry, he traded Abisher for Theodore. Yeah, which at the time, like on paper, that made 
a lot of sense. You're coming, you're, you have, you're bringing out a goalie who just four years previous won the heart and the Vesna trophy. He had been a very, very successful goaltender in Montreal. So there was no questioning at the time of bringing him in. It's just, it did not pan out for him. Well, wasn't he also injured? I don't know. I, I can't recall that part of his career in Colorado. I just remember like he went there and just didn't really live up to the hype. I think be- the big thing for me, I think, was there was a lot of comparisons to the Patrick Watt trade. Yeah. Although what's funny is that something similar happened to Abisher, where Abisher was how ha- he had had a couple of very, very good seasons with Colorado. And then all of a sudden the wheels fell off the bus and then traded to Montreal. And within two seasons, he's out of the league. So we're going to move away from the builders and let's quickly talk about the players. Cause like I said, there was three long time snubs for the hockey hall of fame and one guy who got it on the first year. So let's talk about the first inductee on the player side, a player who I mentioned this guy once or at least once or twice in our wishlist episodes Pierre Turgeon. Yeah. It's kind of a surprise he wasn't in there already, especially given he had pretty much everything but the cup. Yeah, but it was like what I was like going back to our wishlist episode from a few years ago when I talked about Pierre Turgeon. It's Pierre Turgeon's one of those guys that if you really look at his career, very productive, very good, but he has no hardware to his name. Yeah. Because, yeah, we're looking at uh, 1,300 points in 1,300 games. Like, that's wild. It is wild. And the crazy thing about it is with Pierre Turgeon, Tim, is like he, he wasn't playing on scrub teams. He was playing on very, very good competitive teams that just didn't get to the finals. Yeah. Like, the again, those Buffalo, those early uh, 90s Buffalo teams, mid-90s Islander well, those were kind of the scrub teams. And then St. Louis. Yeah, those late 90s, especially the 2000 Blues. Yeah. That was a good team. It was a very good team. I mean, I'm just thinking of some of the players on there. Let's see. Dimitra was on that. Terjean, Pronger. McKinnis. Noodles. Turek. I mean, you go down that list of players that are actually on that team. And you're like, wow, that's such a good team. And then they just got upset by San Jose. And one of the biggest cursed moments ever. I don't know if you've ever seen the clip of Owen Nolan. He came cut through the middle from center. He just shot it right at Roman Turk. And Turk almost looked like he jumped at it. And the puck just went, boop, boop, in his arm. Well, then again, the next year, 2000, 2001, they ended up uh, going to the conference finals just to get smashed by the avalanche. But... Is what yep. it is. Yeah, and then O two they lost to Detroit. O three they blew a three one series lead to the Canucks. <laughs> yeah. Now moving on and talking about another longtime snub to the Hockey Hall of Fame, and another actually an Ottawa Senator, Tom Barrasso. You wonder about Tom Barrasso because is he someone you would think about as a Hall of Famer? That's a good question. And that was something I was thinking about because especially when you think of the years that he really had his best years in the Pittsburgh Penguins, where 
when you think of the Pittsburgh Penguins, who do you really think of that? You think Mario, Yager, Francis, Paul Samuelson, I guess, especially at that time, Kevin Stevens. It, Tom Barrasso kind of falls into the category that Chris Osgood and Corey Crawford, where did they win the cup because they were good or did they win the cup because of the team itself? Yeah. And that's kind of the thing where I was like, that's kind of nice, but it's not the guy I would have thought of, you know? No, but I also think, and it goes back to something that when we had Brent Wallace on the show, it this really stuck in my mind because I think when you talk about the Hockey Hall of Fame, one thing a lot of hockey fans will definitely allow is the voting process can be political. Especially when you see some of the guys who aren't in the Hockey Hall of Fame, like a Jeremy Roenick, like a Theron Fleury, who either rubbed people the wrong way, pissed off a lot of people. Tom Barrasso kind of fell into that category, especially with the media, because he was never a popular guy with the media. He hated the media. Brett Wallace was very open about that when he played, I think, nine games with the Senators. Seven. So that could be a big reason why he never got in for a long time. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, he's definitely not the guy who kind of got shot out. But at the same time, like, he has a Besnia, he has a Jennings, three-time All-Star Calder champion, all-rookie team, and two-time cup winner. Yep. And we so, like, he has the hardware for a goalie. And also, he holds the distinction of being the first goaltender drafted first overall. He was drafted fifth overall. Was he first? Fuck, I thought he got drafted first. No, uh, he went to Buffalo. Oh, right, right. right. Uh, Why did I think he was first? Makes for a better story. It would make for a better story. That's right. And you know what's funny, Tim, is that we talked about that redraft episode, too. (laughs) Yeah. I blew it. I still forget that Tom Barrasso played in Ottawa for seven really bad games. Yeah. He he went to yeah he went to Ottawa for Ron Tugnut, <laughs> and they played so bad he missed a season. That is true. That's true. Now we're gonna talk about another goaltender and another longtime snub getting into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And this guy, he's like Tom Barrasso. This guy also falls in that category of did the team win the cup because of him, or did the team win the cup because of the team in front of him? Mike Vernon. I think more people would argue for Mike Vernon. Like the guy had a long career as a goalie, 780 games. He won a Jennings. He won a, he won a con Smythe. Yes. On a 97 Red Wings team that if you go back and look at the people on that team, you think, wow, that is a super team right there. Yeah. Well, that was the team where it was like, well, it's either Detroit wins it or they blow this fucker up, right? Yeah, and especially coming off to the previous season where you win 62 games and you lose in the conference finals. It, and, yeah. 97, it would have been, yeah, it's time to blow this fucker up. Yeah, But 16 wins, 4 losses, a .927 save percentage in that 96-97 playoffs. That's, for that era, that's a legendary performance. And for a goalie to win a con Smythe. Yeah, Mike Vernon for sure is about as elite as they come. Yeah. Well, and then you look at this time in Calgary where he won the cup in 89. And then the Flames routinely year after year after year were a cup favorite. 
and they never got back to it. No. And a lot of the blame did fall on Mike Vernon. Well, it's just kind of looking at his, it was weird because looking at his stat line afterwards, it was like bad, 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 bad. And then all of a sudden he kind of turns around in Detroit. It was a great trade for the Red Wings. And it's funny because the Red Wings went from having Vernon who won the Vesna to Chris Osgood, who then wins the cup the next year. And then they go on and bring in Dominic Hoskin. Just weird stuff. Yeah. It is a it is a weird thing, man. So, but Vernon, I have to agree with you on that. Yeah, there was definitely an argument you can make that he should have been in the Hall of Fame, and he got in. So good on him. Yeah, no, it's a strong. I think it's a strong one. Very much so. And talking about strong people going into the Hockey Hall of Fame, going in the first year, Henrik Lundqvist. You can, Henrik Lundqvist was, hands down, the best goalie. Of his era. The problem is. The team building around him was so lazy. That New York. Despite getting to the finals. And getting to the conference finals. Many times just couldn't get over the hump. And it was not Henrik Lundqvist's fault. So I'm going to have to. Disagree with that comment Tim. Because. Of one name in particular. Carey Price. No. No, 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 no. I think Carey is. Because man. You win a heart trophy as a goalie, that puts you over everybody else. The only thing is, Henrik went to the final. That I will give him that. To me, he's like a 1A. He's not a clear one. Counterpoint. Henrik okay. Lundqvist has, in one season, I believe, over 100 goals saved above, above average. Five years in a row, he was set, saving 10% more shots than he should. No other goalie has done that in the analytics era like just absolutely bonkers like i'm not disagreeing with henrik lundquist being one of the best of his generation but for me you compare the rangers to what montreal had with carry in front of in the net but the problem is is carry price wasn't consistently good you would have a year where carry price was stellar followed by a year where carry price was absolute dog shit well, Lundqvist was consistently excellent. Now, we were just talking about the Red Wings and talking about how they went from having just there was no lull in their goaltending. The Rangers are another team that really didn't have that because you went from Mike Richter, who was the superstar goaltender. He was to drag the Rangers through the 94 playoffs. He single-handedly won the 96 World Cup for Team USA to Henrik Lundqvist coming into the picture. Yeah. And now you have Igor Shesterkin. Yeah. Who might make, like, depending how Shesterkin's career goes, it might make Lundqvist's look just very good. Yeah. He he got a hand of the Rangers, man. The, The Rangers are... They're, they're like the Nashville Predators when it comes to goaltending. They'd just be like, oh, we have this Pekka Rene? Well, no problem. We have UC Saros now. Yeah, no, it's... And the Rangers have been doing it for longer. Yeah. And the wild thing about the Rangers in Chesterkin, 20% goal save percentage above expected from a model. Igor Chesterkin probably stole 50 goals. 50 to 100 goals. 
last season. Just absolutely stupid numbers. So we're going to move on to talk about Heidi Lundquist and talk about the one female who made the Hockey Hall of Fame for 2023, Caroline Ouellette. Don't know much about her. Yeah. What do we got? I don't know. And that's the thing about Caroline Ouellette is that, and I do apologize to our listeners, it's not anything sexist or anything. I just, I don't follow women's hockey. So for me, I I do apologize. I don't, I, I can't really say whether this is a good or a bad pick. I mean, we are looking at someone with probably more gold men- medals than she has fingers. But on f- that's the hard thing with uh, women's hockey on the international level when there really are only two or three competitive teams. Canada and the U.S. being them. And then just a complete lack of stability in terms of w- women's hockey leagues. Uh, one of the big stories from the last few days is it looks like they're finally mer- merging a bunch of women's leagues uh, to create one unified North American league. And uh, it remains to be seen if that takes off or not. So yeah, it's very tough to follow when the only thing you really have is sporadic best on best tournaments, right? Yeah. And it was very much like, and I'm, I'm not trying to compare the two here, but it was like in the pre-Summit Series era of men's hockey where the Soviet Union was winning everything because Canada wasn't sending the NHLers to the Olympics. Right, but it's I think with this, it's more due to kind of the fragmented nature of uh, women's hockey. It's just really hard to get a a read on it in general because the only time that it's in a place that's accessible unless you're like really hunting it out as these best on best tournaments. And as we know, like the Olympics, isn't the best place to judge a player, right? No, but with, especially like in women's hockey, men's hockey also has these tournaments. They have the world championships, world juniors. They have tournaments like this that are best on best. Yeah. But hopefully now that we've, we will be getting a a more unified approach to women's hockey. It'll be easier to consume. Mm-hmm. Now, this does close out the 2023 Hockey Hall of Fame induction class. I do want to mention a couple of names real quick because these are names that once again got snubbed for the Hall of Fame. The big one, once again, is Alexander McGillney. Guy's just never going to get in at this point. Yeah, and I know that you and I were talking about this because I did see somebody on social media posting that they think it's due to the what's going on in Russia with the Ukraine right now. But you have you flat out told me you're like, well, no, he wasn't getting in long prior to this. Yeah, like he's been eligible for how many years and he hasn't got in? Yeah. It's not that. Yeah, Alexander McGillney, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, Tim, by referring to our old wish list episodes, but Alexander McGillney, I mean, he's a guy that I've mentioned in the past. It's if you look at what Alexander McGillney meant for Russian hockey, especially Russian hockey, given he was the first young player to defect and come over to the NHL, Alexander McGillney deserves all of the respect and everything, but it doesn't seem like he gets that nowadays. And this is a point I especially have made in the past. If you take away 
his 76 goal season in Buffalo, his 55 goal season in Vancouver, and whatever high numbers he had, you look at Alexander McGilney's stats and you just go, yeah, it's it's good. And I think that was a problem with a lot of Russian players when they first came over is that they had they were so naturally talented they could do anything. The problem is, is that they had to make up in their mind they wanted to play. I mean, you look at some of the players. I mean, Fedorov was like that. Alex Kovalev is a big name. I always bring up with this. McGilney was the same way. But you're right. It's will this guy ever get in? Because if you look at Alexander McGilney, he has every check mark for what you need. Gold medal, Stanley Cup, 1,000 points. What's it going to take for him to get in? It's kind of wild, too, because, like, you also have, but like, look at his the people around him. You have Nicholas Backstrom and Alex Kovlev sandwich him on the points board. Doug Waite is just above them. Patrice Bergeron at 1040. Steven Stamco still playing 1056. Eric Stahl at 1063. Like, there's probably players that. W- would probably get in ahead of them. Like you'll probably see Andrzej Kopitar get in before McGillney. Yeah. And it's tough because there are a lot of very good Russian players that came in around the same time as McGillney. And Alex Ovechkin will definitely get in. Oh yeah. He's a first year, but McGillney. But McGillney was that tread setter. McGillney was the trend center. He was the first guy to come over and then. Two years after he came over, Alex Kovalev became the first Russian player to be taken in the first round. Yeah. So it's it's shitty that he's not... Looks like he'll never get in. Because I think he's a player that's been so disrespected for what he's done that he should get into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. yeah. So I do... like. I said, well, I guess I, here's the question. Go ahead. If you put in McGillany, would you put in Kovalev? Okay, good question. Now, Kovalev is a, in, another one that's kind of a, do you put him in? Because, yes, he has a 1,000 points. Yes, he has a Stanley Cup. But what outside of that, what has he really done? And right, thought, but that's the same with uh, McGillney, right? Yeah. Other than McGillney's 70-goal 70 70 season. Was it 70? Yeah, 76-goal season. Like, that would be have to be your difference maker. Yeah, and he wasn't even the only guy that year to score 76. Yeah. In the same way in 95-96 with Vancouver, when he scored 54, 50, no, was it 53, 54, around there, mid-50s? Yeah. He wasn't even the first, the only guy that year that scored 50 goals. I think Mario and Yager both had 60. It's just kind of wild if you think about it. Okay, so... Another name I have to throw out there, a lot of people are talking about this, Rod Brendamore. I don't know. It's like Rod Brendamore. If Carolina ever wins a cup, I would see him as a builder and not a player. Because mm-hmm. Brendamore, it's, he's like Guy Carboneau. Like Rod the Bod, he has the Stanley Cup. He has a thousand points. 
but like he just kind of screams second line center when you look at his stat line. And you know what? He was a great second line center, especially in Philadelphia, where you're playing behind Eric Lindros. Mm-hmm. And he won not, two Selkies in Carolina. Yeah, not concussion prone Lindros, like Lindros in his prime. So it's like Rod the Bod is probably the Hall of Very Good. One cup, two Selkies, 1,100 points is kind of hard to argue. And I do believe, was Brindamore ever on an Olympic team? Good question. I don't know. Uh, he was on. Oh, he was. You know what team he was on? Which? The Nagano Olympic team. Oh, that was the team that had Rob Zaminer as well. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, so uh, no Olympic hardware. And just, he does have the one Stanley Cup in Carolina. He does. Now, I am going to skip over Patrick Elias because I believe that we've already talked about him in the past and him getting into the Hall of Fame. I have one goalie in mind. And a lot of people were saying, oh, why isn't this guy in the Hall of Fame? And you know what? I looked up these people who were commenting this. Guess which team they all cheer for. Florida. Toronto. Curtis Joseph. What did Curtis Joseph actually do? Thank you. Thank you. And this is what I have to say. For me personally, Curtis Joseph, in my personal opinion, is one of the most overrated goaltenders of all time. I'm sorry, but yeah, I think he has like 450 wins or something in his career. Take that away. What does he really accomplished? You could say, oh, well, he has a gold medal. Yes. He played against Sweden in the first game. They lost. And they went to Martin Brodeur and they won a gold medal. Oh, yeah, that was funny. This is like this is the thing that really I don't. And it's not because I'm a Sens fan. It's because I don't understand why people want him in the Hall of Fame. There's so many other guys that are more deserving than this. And my my big problem with Cujo is that Joseph is one of these guys who there's one word that I do not associate with Curtis Joseph, and that's clutch. When you, especially when you look at the team that he played for, he played on he and you look at right up until he left Detroit, he played on very good teams. The only exception of this was with the Edmonton Oilers of the mid nineties where he put them into the playoffs and he was phenomenal with them. But St. Louis, he was really good with them. Didn't go, didn't go to the conference finals. Edmonton. I'm going to give that kind of a pass because of how top heavy the West was at the time. And then he goes to Toronto. Oh, the guy's playoff record is terrible. He's even. Toronto is, and even in Toronto, he was a very good regular season goalie. And that's the thing that really sticks in my craw because when you look at through the years he played, 99, he loses to Buffalo in the conference final. 2000, I believe they lost in the second round. 2001, they lost to New Jersey in the second round. 
2002, they lost to the Cinderella Carolina Hurricanes in six games. He then goes to Detroit, 2002-2003. They get swept. They get swept so hard that next year they bring Hasek back out of retirement. Actually, I think the only team that the only team that Curtis Joseph beat was Ottawa. Bastard. And it took him seven games to do it each time. Well, actually, no. I think in Toronto, I think he beat... New, the Islanders. He beat Pittsburgh. He beat the Isles. Ottawa. But that was it. Yeah. And then he gets fucking swept. But I'm sorry. I would... I'd be very curious to ask. If you were to ask any other fan base... That isn't Toronto. Is Curtis Joseph a Hall of Famer? No. You would see a lot of people who would swing in no. And like I, I imagine even like Oilers fans would be among them. 100%. Remember that time he was in Calgary? Yeah, that was weird. The Anaheim Ducks have unveiled their 30th anniversary jersey, bringing back the teal. An eggplant. I like the color scheme, but it's just like, I don't like how they assembled it. It just looks kind of bad. You know what I'm going to refer to that jersey as? The Starduck jersey. Yeah, I can see it because it kind of looks like a... It's the Starbucks logo. Oh, I thought you were going, it kind of looks like a Darth Vader mask, but it's that. Sorry, I almost said Daffy. It's Donald Duck instead of... But yeah, no, it does look like a Starbucks logo. Yeah, and that's why I'm referring to it as the Starbucks jersey. But this is a jersey that, honestly, I think everybody and their mother knew that the Ducks were going to bring back a jersey in the eggplant and teal or whatever the other color was. Because I really like those colors. And it's something that we've talked about on the show. Those expansion teams of the 90s, they were thinking so out of the box when it came to their jersey designs and the colors that they were using. I mean, the Sharks were using teal, silver, and black. Anaheim was using eggplant. Yeah. The Coyotes were using whatever freaking colors they were using. Oh, the Coyotes. Okay, those Kachina jerseys are kind of cool, though. I do like the Kachina jerseys myself, but even their original thirds, I believe they were purple if i'm not mistaken they were interesting looking for sure yeah so tim we actually got a couple of trades we need to talk about now the Ooh. big trade is coming out of winnipeg and i got to apologize to adam from wellen right out of the gate because i know this one hurt him deep the winnipeg jets did a sign and trade with the los angeles Kings, sending pierre-luc dubois to la in exchange for gabriel velardi alex Ayafalo, and rasmus cooper as long as a 2024 second round pick. I know the rule is always whoever gets the best player in the trade wins the trade. I think Winnipeg won this one. Like, I think one of Winnipeg's problems was effective depth that could play a two-way game, and Velarde and Iafalo are that. And Velarde's a great finisher on top of that. Mm-hmm. Even with Ayafalo, I was always a fan of him in LA. So I'm really glad that Winnipeg got these guys as they did. And it's one of these trades where really it's a trade that helps both teams. Like 
Pierre-Luc Dubois, very good player, but I don't like that contract. Like eight and a half, eight and a half for Pierre-Luc Dubois seems high. Yeah, it is very, very high. But you know what, though? L.A. definitely swung for the fences here. Yeah. And I think big ups to Rob Blake and Luke Robitaille on that, because honestly, especially in a town like Los Angeles, you need to make those big swings to get the people going, right? Right. But I think my question with Pierre-Luc Dubois is, does he look like he did in Columbus or does he look like the kind of lost Pierre-Luc Dubois in Winnipeg? Yeah, and that's definitely a roll of the dice for the Kings is, you're absolutely right, is which players are going to go to. Because I know for a lot of people, they were saying that Pierre-Luc Dubois wanted to go to just go to Montreal. Yeah. And then it came out, it was like, oh, dear, Pierre-Luc Dubois doesn't actually want to go to Montreal. <laughs> just weird. But it's like, yeah, it's it could work, but I, I don't like the money, especially when for the same money, you could have a Tim Stutzla. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I think for me, and I, I want to ask, I want to bring up the question is, did the Kings make this trade thinking Witten Byfield's not going to fully develop? Perhaps. Like, that is something that they might be worried about. The other thing about uh, it that it could be is that maybe they, they're going to move him to the wing. Maybe. I think for me, a big thing is because of Quentin Byfield's size and his injuries, is he going to have the speed to do it? Yeah. Because we're starting to see what Quinton Byfield is. Remember, he's only 20. And we're starting to see a player who uh, is very good at both sides of the ice and has a very good eye for playmaking. He does need to work on his penalties, but otherwise we're seeing it. We're seeing a good player here who could become a very good player. Yeah. And Los Angeles, you know, they're a team that I have always been pumping for the last year or two, just because I've really been happy with how their rebuilds going. And Good on him for making this deal. Yeah. If it pays out, that's great. Because now you've got two big centers right there. Yeah. And him and Kopitar. And then maybe Byfield fills in once Kopitar retires. Exactly. So we're going to talk about another Canadian team. And we're actually going to move away from Winnipeg to talk about the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta. Because the Calgary Flames traded Tyler DeFoley to the New Jersey Devils for Igor Sharanagovich and the 80th pick in the 2023 draft. Another trade that, in my personal opinion, Tim, I don't know how you feel about this, but this is a trade where I feel that both teams are very happy with what they got. Defoli is a top six scorer, and Sharanagovich actually had some pretty decent years in New Jersey, and now he's going to get a bigger role in Calgary. Yeah. Uh, the big thing is, is was last year an aberration with his finishing touch disappearing. Because that's the big thing about Sharon Govich is when he is playing at his best, he is a very strong, not quite elite, but very strong finisher. Otherwise, eek. Yeah. Um, I, do wanna, I do actually want to quickly ask about the Tyler. Now, has Tyler fully been re-signed yet? I think so. I'll check cap friendly here. 
Okay, because I know that Thomas Tatar got that big contract from the Devils. Yeah. And I was thinking uh, if Toffoli was the same boat. I don't think he has, though. Uh, Toffoli just has uh, one more year left at uh, 4.25. Okay, what is their cap situation looking like for the next couple of years? Uh, Pretty good. Okay, so it will be pretty positive that Toffoli will sign. Yeah, because the big thing is the only real ufas that they have yeah next year he's ufa michael mcleod's rfa dawson mercer being rfa is a bit of a wild card luke hughes isn't rfa until 2025 and then they've got like brendan smith's gonna retire colin miller he's pretty cheap yeah so it's new jersey's cap is smooth sailing especially because they have Nico Heischer locked up at seven, sorry, 7.25 for three more years. Jack Hughes at 8 million is a Stutzla, like him and Stutzla at 8 million are steals. And now with the Devils, I think the only big weakness in my personal opinion of the Devils have is in goal. And you're hearing rumors about Connor Hellebach wanting out of Winnipeg. So, you know, there could be a fit there with Hellebach in New Jersey. Yeah. And the other thing with uh, New Jersey is uh, next year, all of their buyouts come off, including two. So they're just, this is the last year of the Corey Schneider back buyout. And they're pretty lucky to be able to dump Mackenzie Blackwood. Yeah. And I think that's where I was thinking that they would probably go after Hellebuck now, especially after you dump him. Yeah. Because it looks like they only have one RFA on the books. They have their big free, big ticket free agent signing. Well, they need one more forward, and they have $5 million to play with. Is Kovacek on the buyout list or no? He has two more years of his recapture penalty, but it's like, no, it's $250,000. Yeah, so it's nothing. It's nothing. And here's the other thing about New Jersey. If they want to, they could just bring up Alexander Holtz. That is true. That is true, but it's going to depend what kind of role is he going to have on that Devils team. Yeah. So we're going to move away from talking about New Jersey and talk about another team in their division, the Philadelphia Flyers, because the Flyers traded Kevin Hayes to the St. Louis Blues for a 2024 sixth round pick. I'm going to be very honest. I said at the time, and I'll say it now, I've I never understood the Kevin Hayes signing with the Flyers, especially at that cap hit. It made zero sense. I mean... Welcome to the Hextall years. Literally nothing made sense for those Philadelphia Flyers. Mm-hmm. And uh, good work for, uh, I almost said Marty Buron, not Danny Briere. Danny Briere for just being able to get something and not have to eat a ton of cap. Three million is rough, but it could be worse. Yeah, and it's one of the, and I am going to have to give Daniel Breyer some credit here because you look at the act, the trades and the deals he made, especially in the draft where he drafted that Russian kid, I think seventh or whatever they did, and he was a real wild card whether he was actually going to come over. Oh, Mikola Michikov. Yeah. So yeah, you know, if you're a Flyers fan, you got to at least feel somewhat optimistic about where Daniel Breyer is taking this team. Yeah, and it looks like he's finding a way to get rid of Anthony D'Angelo because the rumor was was that 
there was going to be another trade with uh, Carolina to bring back Anthony D'Angelo, but a wiggle, a quirk in the CBA prevented that from happening. So D'Angelo might be off the books. And it looks like, yeah, they're just going to tear the sucker down and get picks. Yeah, and that's something that they should have done years ago. Because now all of a sudden they have cap room and uh, they're really building up their pipeline. The question is, is does uh, do Sean Couturier and Cam Atkinson come back? Yeah. And, and does also, Ryan Ellis come back? And also whether they're going to keep Travis Konecki. Well, does Travis Konecki want to say? That's right. I mean, if if you really want to get some picks and get some young prospects, trading Konecki would be a big one. Well, like the really hard thing for Philadelphia, and this is a problem that we're going to be talking about on this next trade, is where's the money? Like, Nashville had to, they couldn't get rid of Duchesne, so they bought him out. They traded... Ryan Johansson for pennies on the dollar. Half space is going to be the hard thing to come by. Yeah, especially if you're the Vegas Golden Knights, who traded Riley Smith to the Pittsburgh Penguins for a 2024 third round pick. I don't like this because I think Riley Smith is a better player than Ivan Barbashev. Smith was moved out to keep Barbashev in the fold. Like, I get that Barbashev is younger. But I don't know. I don't know about this one. Yeah. Vegas, I mean, they're making some head-scratching moves. I mean, with the big, especially with the big extension they gave to Aiden Hill as well, you're solely basing it off that one playoff year he had where really the guy was just a career journeyman before he stepped into that role. Yeah. Especially when it seems like Laurent Brassois could be a reasonable starter for them. Yeah, former couch in Valley Capital. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and then he went to Winnipeg. So yeah, it's it's a bit odd, but I guess they like what they see. I guess so. I guess so, man. It's gonna be one of those things where we're gonna have to look into it once the season starts. Now, the reason, actually, sorry, Tim, going back to what I was saying about the Tyler Toffoli trade to the Devils, the reason why I brought up whether he'd be signed is because, like I said, the New Jersey Devils re-signed Tebow Meyer to an eight-year, $70.4 million contract with an AAV of 8.8. This is, this is a, another very, very good contract. Timo Meyer is one of the top offense pushers in the league. And... San Jose definitely had to get a good haul for him when they traded him away because the player is phenomenal. Always has been. Just quietly brilliant during his younger days when he was kind of being overshadowed by guys like Brent Burns or uh, your big Joes, your little Joes, those sorts of guys. Your Marlows. Your Marlows. But yeah, Timo Meyer, I think he's going to fit in great in what is shaping up to be a very deadly New Jersey team that really didn't give up a lot from last year. No, especially when you think about the fact that they made that deal for Timo Meyer and didn't give up Alexander Holtz. Yeah. As far as like trades go. Oh, sorry. I mentioned Colin Miller. 
sorry, New Jersey picked up Colin Miller from Dallas. And the only real cap casualty in New Jersey was Igor Sharangovich, but that was part of the the, uh, Toffoli trade. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments on these news stories. If you want to head off and talk about the Ottawa Senators draft class for 2023. Yeah, sure. All right. Now, before we do that, Tim, we're going to take a really quick break here in the Third Life Look Sunscast and return to talk about the Ottawa Senators 2003, sorry, 2023 draft class. Coming right back. Hi, this is Adam Copeland from the Zoobcast. You're listening to the Third Line Plug Sunscast. All right, we are back. Now, Tim, it's time to talk about the Ottawa Senators draft class for 2023. Now, there are a couple of things that I know you want to mention here right off the top before we get into this draft class. So I'm going to give you the floor. Yeah, one of the things that was really notable about this draft was there was a few really big trades that happened in the days coming up before the draft. Then, well, there wasn't a lot. So we had a few a few trades before day one of the draft. Sorry, on we had a few, yeah, before day one of the draft where we saw Riley Smith get dumped. And we mentioned that. And then nothing on the draft floor. There was lots of talk about Alex Debrinket moving, but didn't happen. We got to see some more silly cap dump trades on the day two of the draft. First, we had the New York Islanders traded Josh Bailey and a second round pick in 2026 for future considerations. So Josh Bailey is old and washed. Yeah. So basically they traded him for nothing. Yeah. And uh, Chicago happily took him (laughs) because they got to get to the floor and they got to suck next year. Chicago. If you look at some of the acquisitions they made though, they definitely made moves not to build for the future, but to simply get to the cap floor. Like they signed or they traded and signed for Taylor Hall, Nick Felino, Corey Perry, big older names. Yeah. And I like the way that Chicago approached this, especially with trading, like, as you said, Corey Perry, they traded next year's seventh round pick. So it's, they have so many higher picks that that seventh probably won't even get tendered in entry-level contract. So it's literally no water off their back. Mm -hmm. So I do actually have a couple things to mention about day one of the draft. Obviously, to no one's surprise, the Blackhawks took take Connor Bedard first overall. The big intrigue for a lot of people was Anaheim at number two because there was so much talk about Adam Fantelli going to Anaheim. And the Ducks passed on him. They went off the. They went off the board. Yeah, and you know what though? You got to think, if you're a Blue Jackets fan, you got to love the fact Fantelli fell in your lap, because now you're going to have a top six that has him, Goudreau, Patrick Laine, and who else do they have in their top six right now? Oh, shoot. I know who you're talking about, too. Uh, Just let me pull up. Because, yeah, he was their young phenom that made the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets season from hell just a little bit better. Igor Shinikov, Patrick Laine, as we said. Cole Sillinger, 
So you've got some nice names there to fill out a top six. So like the turnaround in Columbus will probably be very quick, especially if Zach Wierenski comes back in good condition and the Jackets can find a way to get rid of our best buddy, Eric Branson. Yeah, but think of it, if you're a Blue Jackets fan where you have a top line of Goudreau, Fantelli, Line. Yeah, with Cole Sillinger on the next line. Yep. That's spooky. It is spooky. Now, a couple of things, a couple more things I do want to mention in day one is for the Montreal Canadiens, they took a defenseman. They got team legend Carey Price to say the name. He kind of sort of pulled a Bobby Clark and completely forgot his last name. Yeah, and that was just rough to watch. I'm surprised he didn't mention it before Montreal picking at number five. San Jose picked Will Smith. Yep. Who came in to the Fresh Prince theme. Yeah, the only thing that could have made it better is if he walked on stage and slapped the Sharks GM in the face. (laughs) You keep your name out my fucking mouth. (laughs) Going at seven, people were surprised to see how far Matvey Michkov, arguably one of the more talented players, a very similar talent level to uh, Fantilli fall to Philadelphia at number seven. Yeah, he was a guy that, and we were mentioning about him being such a wild card of whether he was going to come over. You have to think he would have gone second behind Bergard if he said, yeah, I'll come over right away. Well, the problem is, is you do have that KHL contract problem because he is currently playing for St. Petersburg SKA. Yeah, you're playing for Putin's team. Yeah. Some other funny notes. If we thought Anaheim reached on Leo Carlson, Arizona reached with Dimitri, Dimitri Shimashev and Daniel Boot at 6-12. and 12. So it's good for Senders fans to know that uh, Arizona was very lazy, with very weird with their picks. Uh, picking a guy who played 15 games in uh, the K and scored two goals with Daniel Boot, which was Ottawa's 12th. 12th overall pick, and funnily enough, Boot and uh, Shimashev are both from the same team. You know, I'm not so gonna Arizona had one scout. I got, I got, I'm not gonna lie, it does make me feel a little bit better. Now, I know that earlier we were talking about Alex DeBrinket, and there was some talk that he was going to be traded on the floor. I know a lot of people were really hoping that Ottawa can get a first round pick in this draft for one player in particular, Oliver Bonk. That might have just been you. No, there were some people on Twitter that wanted him. Okay. But it would have been fun to have Ollie Bonk. I know, have the second gen send. Yeah. You got to admit, you you do love that Simpsons meme I made, though. It was good. It was good. Thank you. I, I have a good one every now and then, you know? Yeah, so honestly, just a very uneventful day one of the draft. Other than uh, Arizona and Anaheim just going off and doing Arizona and Anaheim things. So with that out of the way, Tim, let's talk about the Senators draft class for 2023. Starting off in the fourth round, 108th overall, Hoyt Stanley from the Victoria Grizzlies of the BCHL. Ottawa really picking up a much-needed right-handed defenseman here because I was looking at the Senators' organization for players. Would you like to guess how many right-shot defensemen we have in the entire organization? Seven. 
five. That's including huh. him. Wow. Okay. And here's the thing, like fairly productive player in the BCHL, 18 years old, uh, 38 points in 53 games for an offensive defenseman. Not too bad. No. And the scouts really noted his strong skating and puck moving ability. The nice thing about him though, there is going to be no rush for him to make the NHL because he has committed to play in the NCAA next season. Oh, nice. Admittedly, I'm, I'm not sure how good were the Grizzlies good last year. I don't know. That's a good question. I'm gonna. Uh, it looks look like they this. beat they beat Couch and Valley in most of the games they played. Actually, I think. Oh, fuck. I mean, that wasn't much of a stretch. I saw them play last year. Oh, were the Caps just terrible? Oh my god, I forgot how bad that hockey really was. I was like, because Katrina and I went to a game last season, and her and I were looking at each other. She looks at me. She goes. I swear it's like watching my brother play with his drunk buddies on a Friday night. I remember I watched a few Caps games growing up, but yeah, no. Don't really know much about the BCHL, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to look it up here. Let me have a look here. Do, 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 do BCHL standings. I will say one thing, though, Tim. The Q Center where the Grizzlies play. Yeah, not a bad little ring for what they need. Well, that's good. Because I know that have you have you been in the Q Center before? No. Okay, it's not a bad little ring for hockey, honestly. Katrina and I actually went to a Shamrocks game last weekend, and uh, yeah, it's much different than watching the NLL. Not because of the talent, not just the talent level, but also just a few major differences. Number one is they don't play music during the game. If you've ever watched lacrosse without music, it's boring. Really? I don't, like, it was fun. I'm sure if it was, like, the Vancouver Warriors or the hit or the Roughnecks or whatever, it'd be different. But NLL is so much different because they have music. They're very interactive. The crowd just kind of sat on their hands the whole night. Uh, okay, because, like, what's funny is the Shamrocks – they're basically the same players as the NLL players. Mm -hmm. This yeah, is just their summer league. From, I think they had one guy who played for like Buffalo. He just won the championship. Yeah. So by the way, I couldn't find what their standings were last season. So. Oh, the Couch and Valley Capitals were garbage. Yeah. By the way, Tim, speaking about Hoyt Stanley, I when he got drafted, I did consider D DMing him on Instagram, see if he can come on the show. Oh, that'd be neat. Yeah. Should do that. Yeah, do it. Yeah, while I'm doing that, let's move on and talk about the fifth round, 140th pick, Matthew and Dono Visky from the Kitchener Rangers of the OHL. Another defenseman, definitely a bit more of the stay-at-home defenseman type. Uh, probably not gonna, probably won't see a lot of him. I think he's still committed to the uh, OHL for next year. The only comment I got here, I mean, there's not much to say, big body defenseman for the system, is that I'm looking at my notes right now, and I have the Kitchener Rangers as Kitchener Ranchers. Eh, same thing, right? Eh, close enough, right? Yeah. Let's move on to talk about our next pick, Tim. Drafted in the seventh round, 204th overall, Owen Beckner from the Salmon Arm Silverbacks of the BCHL. This is another guy that 
we could have another Mark Castle situation on our hands with this guy where he's a big body and we're not really sure what we have with him. He's also not an overager like Kastelik was. Yeah. And that was one of the things where with Kastelik, they got him, I believe, in the third round. Like, he wasn't quite as late. Yeah, fifth round, sorry. Wasn't quite as late as a seventh round pick. And this is a guy you kind of already saw how he developed. He played five seasons in W and then I transitioned pretty smoothly into the NHL from there. Sorry, the HL and NHL from there. Yeah, very surprisingly, too, because we, like I said, we didn't really know what we have. All we know is that he's got one of the all-time great Halloween costumes. Oh, what was it? He went as Jesus. Right. It was so good. I was like, oh, wow. He looks just like it. It was insane. Now, sticking in the seventh round, Tim, we got two more picks to talk about. That's amazing. We have three picks in the seventh round. And they're yeah. all players that I was just like, yeah, I don't know if they're going to make the team. Next pick, seventh round, 207th overall, Vladimir Nikitin from Barnes New Sultan from the Kazakhstan Hockey League. Very nice. So what's insane is that I know nothing about this player. Hockey DB, Hockey DB also knows nothing about this player. They don't even have his position. All I know is that he's a goalie. And Ottawa's going to be adding to their stable a big body goalie, 6'4, 192. The thing that I really noted up. This me, is the only guy who's been drafted from this team. Yeah. And you know what's funny, Tim? I was look just based on what I was looking on the NHL website about him. While he didn't have the best numbers in the Kaza Hockey League, 0. 0.885, 396 goals against. He did have a good World Junior Championship Division 1A. 936 save percentage, 1-5 goals against, 4-1 record. Yeah, I guess. So is that the Helenka Gretzky or? I want to say. Yeah, so it might be worth taking a flyer on that. Yeah. And hell, if, um, you know, if they ever decide to go back to a Grizzlies and or Caps game next season. We'll have to go check him out with the Chilliwack Chiefs, which where he'll be joining next season. Wild. I know. It, I I would have to imagine he's only doing this to just get used to the North American game. Or just get reps in in general, right? Yeah. Or maybe get a visa. Maybe. I mean, cause you know, if you ever want a visa, you go to Chilliwack. <laughs> Well, that and I imagine even working for Costco in Canada is better than uh, kind of scrubbing around hockey leagues in Kazakhstan. Yeah, I mean, hell, it, had he worked for Costco before he got drafted, fucking Montreal probably would have took him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good, so good. Now, Tim, we're going to close off the Ottawa Senators 2023 draft class by talking about our final pick. Seventh round, 215th overall, Nicholas Van Tezal from the Green Bay Gamblers of the UC USHF. This is what happens when I don't hyphenate my words, Tim, I swear. Um, yeah, another big body down the middle, 6'4", 193. Committed to the University of Massachusetts of Hockey East Conference next season. He might exist. 
he's a player that exists. Yeah, so do you think we see any of these players? I don't know. That's the thing. Like, I'm not sure if any of these guys will make the NHL or even the American Hockey League. I mean, Hoyt Stanley might be, like, the closest we get. Right. Because, yeah, we haven't seen anyone from the 2022 or 2021 draft yet uh, play an NHL game. But the 2020 draft... Drafts actually yielded, well, obviously, Tim Stutzla. But uh, we've seen Jake Sanderson play. We've seen Grieg get some reps. Cleveland's played. Sokolov's played. Merrill Lyons played. And Ryan, Cole Reinhardt has played one game. So that's a pretty good haul from that 2020 draft. And everyone from the 2019 draft has played an NHL game that the Sens, that the Sens picked. Yeah, so it's only going to be a matter of time whether to see if any of these picks, especially the the kid that we picked up from the Green Bay Gamblers, he's just going to be like the Grand Prairie of the Suns draft class. He just (laughs) exists. He just exists. You know what's kind of wild? Is that Shane Bowers got traded again at this draft. He's at least played a game now. Now, Tim, I don't want to close off this episode by not really having much to say here about this draft class. I do want to add one thing because we did talk about the Anaheim Ducks 30th anniversary jersey. You remember how I believe it was in our last episode or the episode previous, I talked about the E60 doc about the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim? Yeah. I finally watched it. And? It's not bad. Okay. Honestly, it's one of these, you know, and I've always made the comment about the E60s. I was just... You know, some of the subjects they've done, you really watch them. And the first, the thoughts that I have is it should have been a 30 for 30. (laughs) And I get like for ESPN, 30 for 30 is like way higher production cost than the E60s are. Because for E60, all you need is like the one host, maybe go down to the rink, interview a few players and splice some clips together. But the one thing that really stuck out for me or sorry, there was two things that really stuck up for me when watching this. Michael Eisner talked about the Ducks, and he talked about why the, te- the team not being successful. Yep. And I get a real sense that Michael Eisner really wanted to put a very good team on the ice. It was the Disney uh, shareholders that did not want to lose money on it. Right. Makes sense. Right. I mean, you know, when you have a company like Disney where you have shareholders and all that stuff, you don't want to lose money on that's fair. And then they talked about Brian Murray, the late Brian Murray, who went from being a coach to the general manager and Brian Murray's first thing he ever did as a GM. He went to Eisner and says, if you want a good team, I need more money. (laughs) Imagine going to the CEO of fucking Disney. It's like, give me the money. Yeah, and and you know what he did? He gave him the money, and he went out and he got the Steve Root, or I think they already had Root, but it was like Steve Thomas, Adam Oates, J.S. Shiger came into the picture, Sanders Oshlitz, and they made that trade. They made a few deals that got them to the finals in 2003. It's like, can you imagine just fucking Brian Murray going up to Michael Eisner? Just in Mike, in Brian Murray's voice, hey, Mike, we need more money. 
Yeah. And even in the E60 doc, it was really nice to see some of the old Ducks players come back. Like they brought in Guy Hebert, Timo Solani obviously came back. But to see Paul Correa come back and really talk about his time, because there was a number of years where he wanted nothing to do. And you can tell he was very bitter with how, A, how his career ended, but also the fact that star players were not protected. Yeah. So he definitely did that. I think going into the Hockey Hall of Fame is the best thing for Paul Correa because he really came back into the fold for hockey. And I think it's a great thing. Now, we're talking about Paul Correa. One cool thing that really came out of the last week or two, this doesn't have anything to do with the E60. It actually has to do with Brent Wallace's podcast coming in hot. Okay. Because one of the previous guests he had was a good friend of the show and a former third upload guest, Dr. Bruce Firestone. Neat. And one thing that really stuck, the thing that really stuck out for me for that interview is I want to say it was Wally or Jason York who made the comment. He says, oh, so uh, given that you were the founder of the team, do you regret drafting Dag? And Bruce Firestone says, if I had to do it over again, we wouldn't do it. But the thing that really stuck over me is Bruce Firestone saying, I didn't want to draft him. Really? Bruce Firestone said that. He says, yeah, I went to the GM and I says, we do not need to draft this guy because Alex is a good north-south skater. He wanted Paul Correa going first. Ooh. He says, you know what? Dag is a good north-south player, but Paul Correa is like Gretzky. He sees the entire race. I wonder how different Ottawa Senators history would be if they did take Paul Correa. Oh, I don't know. I mean, how different do you think the Sens history would be if we take in Korea or Pronger first overall? Probably very different with Pronger. Well, maybe not that different. Yeah, but how different would it have been if we actually hit on some of those late picks in those first couple of years too, though? That's true, that's true. Yeah. So, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on this draft class before we head off to the close for another episode? No, I think we're good. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, as well as on Twitter and Instagram at Third Line Plug. I'm on both at Great White Gipster, and Tim is still only on Twitter at M901. Honey Badger. So, Tim, for our next episode that we're going to be recording, we are going to be looking at the 2000. 23 NHL 3 agency. Bring it back, Price is right, baby. Let's go. Until next time, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go, Sam.